Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, today we have one of my favorite musicians on the planet with us. I'm so excited. And I thought I'd just tell a story about how I met this person. So it was about two years ago, walking down First Street in Napa, maybe a couple cocktails in, possibly. And I, we were walking by this place called Jam Cellars. And I was new to Napa, and so I didn't know what it was. But it was like this magnet kind of pulled me into this place. And there was this beautiful voice. And I was with my friend Nikki, and we both were like transfixed. The people at Jam Sellers, the very nice people, the lovely people at Jam Sellers were like, uh, do you guys want something to drink? And I'm like, shush, 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 I want to hear this guy. <laughs> He's so good. And so the person that was there was Chris Pierce, who's joining us today. And so I think over the next kind of six months, I think I became Chris's number one fan, slightly stalkerish. And I'd go see him wherever he was playing. In fact, Chris, I don't know if you know this, but you were playing with a couple, I forget what their names are at one of the other wineries here in Napa. And, and it was a pricey ticket, but I really came to see you. So I paid my hundred bucks, you know, theoretically to go see them. But really I was there to see Chris Pierce because he's so amazing. Well, and I have to say, once you told me about Chris and I've now listened to every piece of music I could find on the internet, I totally got why you have been so transfixed by him. Absolutely. But then this crazy pandemic hit, right? And there was no live music for a while. And so, Chris, I know you did some kind of online things. And then magically about two months ago, there I was walking by Jam Sellers again. And Chris Pierce is back. It was amazing. So I brought a bunch of friends and I introduced a whole new crew of people to Chris. And then just this past weekend, we're recording right after Bottle Rock just happened this past weekend. And I got to see Chris there. Chris, you'll laugh at this, but I was like sitting there jamming and singing all your songs. And this guy standing next to me was like, do you know this guy? And I'm like, I mean, not personally, but I love his music. He was like, he's awesome. And so I might have grabbed his phone and put this podcast in his phone. I'm like, you'll get to hear him in a few weeks because we're having him on. So Chris, we're just so, so grateful that you're here. And we already know how amazing your music is, but we'd really love to hear a little bit more about your journey. Can you share with us where you're from, maybe a little bit about your family and how you discovered music? Yeah, thank you. And yeah, you know, that that introduction, <laughs> I, I, it's, I'm going to be smiling all day. Aww. Oh, and, and the uh, the couple that I was opening up for was uh, Rodrigo and Gabriela. And they're good, uh, but you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great show. It was at the Mondavi Vineyard. Yes. And it was just a beautiful setting. I am a uh, Southern California born and raised musician. Music has been uh, something that I've just had to do since I can remember. Um, I actually learned how to spell my name by learning a song. My parents taught me a song, and that's how I learned how to spell my name. Uh, one of my first words was music. Uh, singing has always been just a huge part of my life and music in general. I think my earliest memory how powerful music is um, was seeing my father sing to my mother, mouthing along to a vinyl record and then singing and lifting his voice and seeing what that did to the energy in the room. 
Didn't matter what was going on in our house. Didn't matter what was going on in the community. There was always something that brought everybody in my house together through music. So it was naturally something that I I wanted to do. I got invo- as involved as I could, joined a school choir, mm-hmm. uh, got involved in community presentations, community theater. I was in a bunch of different groups and bands. I did a, a TV show when I was 10 called Kids Incorporated. That was kind of my first professional gig. And that was with Stacey Ferguson, who is now known as Fergie. And wow. Mario Lopez was a dancer no on the show. Oh, yeah. wow. So your first brush with fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fifth, the fifth grade. So, yeah, went, went down to KTLA is where they were filming uh, the show. And it was a big show at the time. You know, all the kids watched it. So that was really fun. And then from there, I just really just went all in and and every talent show, every community competition. I started playing in clubs at like 14 years old and I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Then something a little bit drastic happened. I was 15 and I lost my hearing. Mm. And so that was not only shocking, horrifying. I was really sad about it. I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue music. There was a question of whether I'd ever be able to hear again, but I was able to have a surgery called a stapedectomy and regain 70% of my hearing in my right ear. And then I slowly started learning how to sing again, how to hear music again. Everything sounded differently. I couldn't hear out of my left ear, still can't. And then it was kind of like having like hearing for the first time again. And so that was challenging. And there were a lot of questions at first, you know, am I going to be able to go do higher education? Will I be able to do studio work? Will I be able to perform live on stage? And then just through, I think, just self-determination, community, family, friends, myself, along with everybody, just grabbed the back of my shirt (laughs) and started lifting me back up because... uh, I knew and everybody around me knew that there had to be a way. And so that confidence inspired me to uh, keep going and end up getting a scholarship to study music in college. And then um, and then my professional career, adult career started after that. And uh, it's been pretty uh, a pretty steady stream for the past 30 or so years, uh, which I'm very thankful for. You know, it's so interesting, your comment about relearning to hear, because I know people who have, in fact, I have a friend whose husband was in a horrible bike rack. He he was hit by a car and had to start the process of relearning to walk. And I think we can relate to relearning to walk or relearning how to use, you know, an arm or some other kind of injury. But this idea of relearning to hear is... I don't think it's something most of us can even quite imagine what that would be like. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, th- I think about that all the time, and I th- the process is is so deep, and I, I practice it. I feel like I'm going to be relearning to hear for the rest of my mm-hmm. life because there's constant challenges, and I, I feel like it's a, there's constant navigating going on. I think one of the most important things that I've le- I learned uh, early on, and that I practice daily is reading body language and kind of knowing and feeling what's happening around me, even though I may not be able to hear everything, by studying 
people that are in front of me, their body language, their facial expressions, what their hands are doing, how they're standing, how they're sitting. And that's something that has really helped me a lot. And I think it's, I think it's gotten me closer to emotion and being open to not only being vulnerable in conversation, but also on stage. Because a lot of times it's like standing on the edge of the cliff. I never know what one stage is going to be or another studio is going to be, or I put on a pair of headphones and I never know, is somebody going to have one person panned this way and I'm not going to be able to hear them at all. So it's, 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 it's embracing that vulnerability, I think, is one of the biggest studies for me in relearning to hear and just the constant learning process that, that comes along with it. And otosclerosis is something that a lot of people get and it's correctable. For me, it was only correctable on one, one ear. I tried it uh, on my other ear a few years ago and went to the best guy in the, on the planet, the guy that wrote the book on the surgery. And I got it back for about a week and then it went away, oh, which was <laughs> heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But again, you know, I'm, I was all in at that point. Yeah. You know, I've, I'm a professional musician. It's what I love. It's what moves me the most. So I said, you know, it's it's something that I've, I've learned to adapt to and I'll just continue doing that. And, uh, and maybe maybe my body and my spirit together got got together and said, you know what? No, you're going to keep pulling from where you pull from emotionally and you're going to stay vulnerable. And the challenges will lead to even more beautiful opportunities and beautiful music and soulfulness and soulful situations uh, that you're going to be in for, for the rest of your days. So that's kind of what I've told myself, that it, it was in some ways a gift. The universe telling me, my body, my spirit telling me, you know what, you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. And and you should celebrate the fact that you've gotten this far. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, truly amazing and really encapsulates, I think, what this podcast is all about, right? That often it is those, those frankly, shitty things that happen to us that yeah, can really yeah. lead to something beautiful that we couldn't have even imagined. Right. So I'm so I really want to pull on this thread about vulnerability because you you articulated it so beautifully. And yet vulnerability is one of those tough things in our society that people struggle with quite a bit. And let's be honest, you're also a guy and a black man, right? And so there's multiple things here that are kind of working against you that might make you struggle a little bit more with vulnerability. So I'm curious, one, what does vulnerability mean to you? And then how do you keep honing that skill of allowing yourself to be vulnerable? Wow. Yeah. You know, that's, I've been actually thinking about that a lot lately because when it, in regards to music, I feel like I'm really able to, to go there and almost like recognize when I'm not being as vulnerable as I could be in a situation with life. It's a lot harder. There've been some situations I've been in growing up, starting from a young age, you know, five years old, somebody burning a cross on my parents' lawn, them being the first interracial couple in the neighborhood and waking up to my mother screaming to watching my dad get harassed by the cops over and over again to to being shot at, to being stabbed, to being arrested and, and uh, falsely accused and beat up by cops and put in jail. I mean, you, you name it, too to moving into my current house, I mean, fast forward, 
and fixing a window the first day and having the police come up the driveway with their guns drawn. Oh, my God. Which was a welcome to the neighborhood yeah. for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So and, and all of that, along with just the daily struggle of being a man, being a black man in society is a lot uh, a, a lot to deal with. And I don't I don't think as a. As a human being, as a person, as, a, as somebody that's just going along, if I had a job at, at Starbucks, I don't think that I'd be able to practice it as much as I do. I think music is such a gift, and my situation with hearing is such a gift that it's a constant reminder to try to apply that in my everyday life and to try to not only forgive other people, but forgive myself for things, to step out, to speak out. And and to allow, you know, if I feel broken, if I feel hurt, to allow that to be seen. Mm. My dad was somebody that grew up in a time where, you know, things weren't filmed and things weren't shown on TV as much. And he was a guy that had he had to be tough. Then he married my mother and was getting threatened all the time. There were certain relatives of ours that didn't even go to their wedding. Wow. And, and interracial marriage was still outlawed in certain states in America. And so I grew up around that toughness, but I also, you know, through my mother and through their relationship together, they demonstrated vulnerability um, constantly. And just the fact that they were able to be together was, was they were constantly vulnerable. Active vulnerability uh, right there, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And so, and so seeing them together... It was a reminder. My mother is an eternal optimist and will, always will be. Today's her birthday. Oh, happy birthday, um, mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I, 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 that's a, I mean, I could talk about vulnerability forever. It's so, it's so dynamic and so complex. Yeah. And I think you nailed it. It's being a musician, being a, a, a deaf musician, mm. being a black man, being a man. It's so deep every day, but I'm so thankful for music and my relationship with music and deafness. Uh, to be a constant reminder. I mean, in situations that I'm in uh, daily where I can't hear people speaking to me, I don't know what they're saying. That That's constantly, I, I'm constantly feeling vulnerable. And there are times where people are not nice at all mm -hmm. about you not hearing them when they don't know what's going on. So it's it's uh it's tough. I feel like it's it's a constant. I'm a constant uh, student, uh, and always you know, and will be. And also, I would say a teacher because mm. to mm. hear you talk about how you have navigated vulnerability, how you allowing yourself to be vulnerable has you didn't say it exactly like this, but I'm taking away from it has made your music deeper and better and. I'm going to guess more accessible. I know when I was listening to it for the first time, it feels so accessible and you sing about really hard stuff. Mm. And I'm just thinking about our listeners hearing this conversation. And so it's both student and teacher of mm. you really modeling. Here's what vulnerability can look like. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I, I'm, uh, you know, I actually do work with literally work with kids as well. And friends and family, it's, it seems like a lot of folks come to me in my life for the conversations that are hard to have with other people. Um, and I think that the reason they do is because they know I've been through stuff and, I, and I'm constantly going through it. And it's a process. 
and they know that I'm a, a sensitive and artistic person uh, that's had to fight for something uh, that I love. Yeah. And, that, and that fight is not going to get any easier ever. <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Yeah. And I am really curious about that. You know, having a cross burned in your front yard, being shot at, being arrested, being falsely accused, yeah. being beat up by cops. To be perfectly honest, as a white woman, I've had to deal with exactly zero of those things. I'm curious, where does that resilience come from? I, I have to keep going back to music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, having having a way to really an output to express my emotions, I I feel like it's it's just been a lifesaver for me. I, I'd you know, otherwise I feel like I would have found a place of refuge and just kind of hidden there. If, just, you know, and I feel like that's what a lot of people do that don't have an output. But it's 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 for me, I, I've seen so much good in so many people. And to be able mm-hmm. to travel around the world and play music for the past 30 years, I can just see the, that that love is such a, it, it translates like nothing else. And so every time something like that has happened, I always look to love, you know, for the answer and. Uh, you know, I always try to be as empathetic as possible. It's it's tough sometimes because, uh, it, you know, things make you angry. But sure. I always try to think about why somebody is choosing hate above love, why somebody is attacking instead of embracing. And in that thought process, I'm able to really just come to terms with, with what's happening and Knowing that I can turn to music at the end of whatever's happening, I always have an escape plan <laughs> um, yep. uh, and a place to go. So that's kind of how I've gotten through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I just love that because not everybody will have music like in the same way that you do. But I do think what you're sharing is that having an outlet, having a, a some grounding practices, having things that actually will help you get through these moments mm-hmm. of a real difficulty is one of the things that can really lift you up. Yeah. And I would add it's everything you just said, Anne, and also having these practices that refuel you and mm. fill you mm. up after really depleting hard either moments or experiences or periods of time. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it makes it makes me really think about like, you know, I, I who doesn't have an outlet like this. And so, and that's where the wanting to constantly share comes from. I'm uh, flying somewhere tomorrow, I'm flying somewhere Saturday, I'm flying somewhere Sunday. And that's where that comes from at, at you know, at my age, continuing to do what I do. A lot mm-hmm. of that comes from just wanting to share that emotion that I've tapped into through all of these experiences. and you know, wanted to try to, you know, give people an invitation to go with me for, for an hour and, and, to, and to leave their stuff at the door and, and open up and drop it and, and be part of the music. And, yeah. uh, and so that, that's really what, you know, Sherry said fuels, what fuels a lot of that, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, what I love about what you just said is even if somebody doesn't have an outlet in that they're a musician themselves, even just listening to music and being witness to somebody else's emotion and their experience can also be a way to almost like I'm picturing sort of a salve, right? It's sort of a a calming to our souls, to our emotions. That's a beautiful way to put it. Following up on Anne's comment about witness, you talked about in another podcast you were on that I was listening to that you've had some 
incredible opportunities to open for some really fantastic musicians. And you had a comment on in that podcast about having had the opportunity to open for Seal, B.B. King, Aaron Mountville, Al Green. But what was so moving to me about that is you made the comment that night after night, they showed you examples of emotional vulnerability. And it was just such a powerful, powerful thing to hear you say. And so I'm curious about what that experience was like for you and how that has shaped you. Yeah, each each one of those gentlemen uh, were, t- were great teachers for me, uh, and each one was different. Starting with Seal, who I met at a uh, at a at a party. I think you and I are going to different kinds of parties. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, actually, I actually got invited uh, by a friend of a friend and uh, a friend, a, a woman I went to high school with, who I had just run into, and she said, "Hey, I'm I'm, I'm assisting this director." And um, she's having some people over. Why don't you bring your guitar? And so, and I, and I said to myself, "Oh, another free show." Uh, <laughs> um, and, and but but I did what I always do. I said, "You know, something. You know, who knows? Who knows what? Who I'll connect with spiritually, emotionally? Maybe who who knows what it'll lead to?" So, I threw my my guitar in my truck and drove up there, and I'm playing and. And uh, closing my eyes like I always do, and I open them, and there's Seal standing there. And we got to talking, and long, long story longer. A couple weeks later, I was in Mannheim, Germ- Germany, opening his show for thousands of people, uh, and did four tours with him. And the thing about opening for Seal and just being around him for me was my first real example of a, a superstar being not only generous and giving, um, but really understanding that this gift that he's gotten, that he's worked so hard for, could go away at any time. And him seeing in me himself and and then and then reaching out and having an outreach. Like for for example, you know, he insisted that I ride in his buses, not have to follow the tour around. I joined he and his family for dinners and that, you know, this is, this is somebody who is, you know, a big celebrity and married to a big giant celebrity at the time. And, and they were inviting me to dinners with them. I was staying in the same hotels as them. And I was just, this was my first international tour and I could have been, you know, having to rent a car, follow them around, find a cheap place to stay. But he was so inclusive. And Mm. looking back on that, I think, it's because he really understood the gift that he's been given and he really wanted to reach out to somebody else who he recognized had a gift and he really wanted to to try to lift me up in a way that he would have wanted somebody to do for him and so that was that was beautiful and his audiences were also incredible and talk about vulnerable just through his music and his sound and some of his, the subject matters of his songs just are like, you know, therapy, uh, going to a therapy session. Don't be so hard on yourself is one of the first mm. lines of one of his songs. And that always gets me. And I sing it to myself all the time. And I'm sure a lot of people do. And then B.B. King was another great teacher because 
he came from the cotton fields. He picked cotton. He had been doing it for so long. And, you know, he when he first started touring, he, he was riding on dirt roads. He would he, he went through a time where the tour bus was getting stopped and he couldn't play at certain places and getting kicked out. And to be his opening act and be a person of uh, a, another man of color, but being a person that comes from an interracial marriage, which is something that he, through his music, worked so hard as far as race relations went to get people to come together through music. It was just, it was surreal for me. And, and Riley King, Mr. King, he, he taught me every night that it's about that communication, the power of that communication through, in his case, the blues talking about the the blues has to be one of the, the first most vulnerable types of music because it's literally people talking about hardships and oppression and murder and and you know one of the the oldest blues songs is talking about somebody being hung from a tree and Mm -hmm. to be able to get up and sing those songs in front of people who may not understand and see bb king sing those songs and bring so much joy at the same time was such a huge lesson and he was so generous every time, every night he, he told the audience, uh, I want y'all to go out and buy this young man's CD. And every Aww. night I'd sell hundreds and hundreds of CDs. Every single night he invited me on stage during his last song to take a bow with him. Nobody who I've ever opened for has ever done that. It was such a beautiful and moving, moving experience uh, to be with like such a legend. And I mean, I could go on and on, but those are two, two examples of, of, that that I that come to mind right away when you bring up those names, and I think that both of those individuals, Seal and BB King, two different people from two different times and places, they're both black men. They're both highly sensitive. Uh, they've both had to get through hardships and pain and oppression uh, in different ways, and I feel like both of them saw a struggle in the young man that I was at the time and said, you know what, this guy gets it. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to come out with me and he gets it. And I want to teach him as much as I can and and let him know that it's okay, that we're part of the same tribe of of folks that are actually are taking this and turning it into to something positive, yeah. something that, that, that can actually move people and bring people together. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, it's so interesting to talk about subject matters, especially from B.B. King, as you were just saying, because I remember when I first heard you, I mean, there were these lovely, light, kind of fun songs, Meet Me in the Vineyard, one of my favorites, just like sweet and light and lovely. Your latest album is a siren call and uh, it's called American Silence. Everybody should go buy it right now. Uh, It's amazing. (laughs) So great. But I mean, you have some pretty serious lyrics in some of these songs. And I loved what you said about singing about these hard things that maybe people won't totally understand, but hoping they kind of can bring them together. I, I was watching some people in the audience. I mean, when you sing, that ain't no sh- chip on my shoulder, that's your boot up on my neck. I mean, that's a that's a big statement, right? And so I'm, I'm really curious how this latest album has been received, how you feel when you're singing it, what kind of response you're getting. I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Yeah, you know, the, uh, American Silence, all of, all of those songs were written during the pandemic. They were written between 
February of 2020 and September of 2020. Mm -hmm. And here we all were still in, in a lot of ways, silent and feeling silent, trying to figure out ways. And, and, and I think through that, we were, I think folks had the attention span to actually embrace a lot of the different things that are actually going on all the time that we can't because we're busy and working and living our lives. And so watching television and hearing radio and reading blogs and not only, you know, murder after murder after murder of, of Black people I was hearing and seeing about, which has constantly been happening, but it's being, again, being still and being at a place of in a pandemic, it's just there's more space for it to hit you. Yes. And so, and then at the same time, having a feeling that I've never had before of, of folks, and I, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about this. It, it was a, the feeling of allies coming out of just nowhere. And it's just, and that is a, was a result, I believe, of the kind of this great awakening and people actually having the capacity and the space and the time to stop and actually feel these things that they're seeing and hearing about and not just moving on to something else. And so in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the stillness in what we all had was a gift, I think, to civil rights and the history of civil rights and battling op oppression and uh, thinking about uh, some of these things that of the history uh, and really digging deeper. For myself personally, a lot of things surfaced about my own history with some of these subject matters. And I really wanted to, I thought it was time to write about them and not only write about my own personal histories, but write about some of the things I was seeing, like, like that particular song, it's been burning for a while, is a response to the media's shock of, oh, wow, people are angry about this and they're out doing things. And, you know, I'm personally a person that has always found that peaceful protesting and marching is something that uh, is very important. But I also understand, like we were talking about earlier, that a lot of people don't have out the same outlet that I do. Woke up this morning, saw that smoke up in the sky. Crowd of people watching, asking who and how and why. Flames are rolling down the city, rolling for a mile. How'd it get so bad, you ask? It's been burning for a while. You say it's in the eye of the beholder. Well, I'll just go and check. Now that ain't no chip up on my shoulder. That's your boot up on my neck. That song is a reminder to people that this is not the first time uh, this is going to happen. Um, and, and Or the last. Or the last. And things burning are, are it's, 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 a lot in a lot of ways, as, as destructive as it can be, it's people expressing their anger. And there's nothing really, in my opinion, that anybody should ever be surprised about that. It's seeing people that look like you being hunted and murdered. And 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 I mean, for George Floyd, I mean people would have been more appalled if if somebody had their foot on a dog's neck for nine minutes. And then, you know. Oh my God! And they're out in the streets and they're burning things. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so, and it's funny you bring up that song because, and I went through a lot of things. I talked about homelessness. I talked about some of the 
struggles of, of uh, people in my family. I talked about Native American boarding schools. I did a song in honor of John Lewis, a song about blackness and being young called Young Black and Beautiful. Yep. Yeah, it really is it's just an uplifting song. But that song has been burning for a while. I wanted to tell you a quick story. I traveled all over the United States this summer to support this record. And thankfully, in late June, when everybody got the green light that it's okay to travel again, I got to my agent got me shows in Texas and West Virginia. I was in Ohio. I was going place to place to place to place to place. And you asked about how people have received the album. This album has really resonated with more people than I can ever remember of any album I've ever done. And the audiences, the combination of singing about some of these subjects and being one of the first shows that people have seen in a while and having that feeling, I think is bringing out a lot of emotions. Yeah. And I've noticed something across the country that I'm getting, you know, people are standing up halfway mm -hmm. through the set after that song. Like there's been several shows that people have given a standing ovation. With that being said, I had to travel all the way back to our great state of California to be confronted by a man about that song. Mm -hmm. I was playing a festival, not Bottle Rock. And there was a man, that gentleman that's the way in line uh, for about 15 minutes in my CD line. And so he comes up to me and he's, he's a big guy, as big as me and, and uh, kind of has that police presence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I could tell he was, he was upset about something. And I said, Hey, would you like to buy a CD? I, I figured, you know, he's probably upset about staying in line for 15 minutes. And he, <laughs> And he says, you know, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I really liked your music till you played that stupid fucking George Floyd song. And wow, the reason that really shook me, it shook me for a couple of reasons. One, I had my friends, two 11 year old twin girls standing next to me when he said yeah. that. And I was thinking, OK, they've just experienced racism in action. This is going to change their lives forever. And two, I was thinking to myself, I'm in California. This didn't happen in Waco, Texas. This is happening in California. And, and so it was shocking to me. And I said, sir, you know, I, you have every right for your opinion. And then he cut me off and he said, uh, no, I'm talking. And, and it was very, very abrupt. Um, wow. and he told me to shut up and blah, blah, blah. And nobody really did anything. People just kind of stood mm. there. And, and I was thinking about my song, American Silence, which talks about complacency. And I was thinking, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's saying anything to this guy. And so he continued on and, and he said, you know, my cousin's a cop in Minneapolis and cops don't uh, sit in, in the break room and talk about going to kill a black person today. And I said, sir, you really have the song wrong. I introduced the song. I, I told you what it's about. And the song's not anti-police. It's anti-police killing black people daily on television for everybody to see and then expecting nobody to get angry about it. Uh, and I said, I have, I have family that are law enforcement, military law enforcement, and they're beautiful people and I love them dearly. I'm not anti police. I'm anti-murder and oppression. And I said, furthermore, you're at a blues festival. and You don't want to hear a black man speak about the problems in America. Uh, you should really think about what your ticket says. It's, 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 you're at a blues festival. And if you don't want to hear true expressions of the blues, this might not be the place to be. And then uh, just in the past few weeks, I've been thinking about that encounter, which anything could have happened. And I think about 
some of the trailblazers, not only in music, but in civil rights. And, okay, this is one thing. There's going to be more. And the thing to do is always to stay calm and try to disarm people um, mm-hmm. with calmness and intelligence and, uh, and try to be empathetic and understanding. At the same time, you think, I think to myself, this is, this is, there's a lot going on out there. And, you know, I have to protect myself at the same time. And this is a risk that, you know, it, it could happen again. And I just have to take it on a case by case basis. And it's one of the things that goes with talking about some of the things that I've talked about on this album. So talk about vulnerability. This will this adds yeah. a different layer to it, uh, being out supporting this album. And that was a reminder of that. So three comments. The first one is, so my heart was totally racing as you're telling this story and it didn't happen to yeah. me and I wasn't there and I'm not a black man. So, mm. and I, my heart is still racing listening to that story, but I'm really struck by the fact you started your story by saying this gentleman is standing in line mm. and you didn't start your story. I probably would have said this asshole well, standing that, in line. Yeah, that's, I, that's what I was going to say. You didn't start your story with like this jerk or this asshole or this racist or was this gentleman was standing in line. And mm. that's just, I think that just speaks so deeply to how you have chosen to move through this world, completely clear eyed, right? Not in any kind of denial, but still holding some level of respect whether it's deserved or not, you know? And it just, it makes me then think about the first line of the title song on American Silence, which is, will you rise up when your comfort is in jeopardy? Will you rise up when your comfort is in jeopardy? Will you resist justifying the complexity? Is simplicity convenient in your quest to pacify? When you look in the mirror, can you see your own disguise? Can we sing a song for you? Will music move your heart and mind? Will our song arrest you? American silence is a crime. That is such a powerful line, which it speaks to, you were talking about complacency, right? It really speaks to Facebook posts all day long. Great. But are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? Yeah. um, I feel like, uh, Choosing the choosing love over hate is always something to practice, no matter what situation you're in. And it's one of the, the, the biggest weapons that you can have is love. If I keep that in my heart, if I store that and hold it and take it with me everywhere I go, you know, it, it's something that, that it won't hurt. It won't hurt the situation if I choose that, that route. And, 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 I say, gentlemen, you know, because he wasn't treating me like one. And I want him the opportunity to, you know, maybe someday hear this podcast or or hear me tell this story and think twice about what he did and, and confronting a musician about a song in the way, in a threatening way and telling me that I should be careful that police are protecting me right now and I should be careful singing songs like that. 
you know, I told him, I said, that, that sounds like a threat. And I can't even believe you're going there in front of all these people. But I don't really know any other way to do it. I've, I've gone through when I was young, I'd react different ways and, mm. and never felt good. I never felt like I did the right thing. And I felt like I gave people more reason to be intolerant and more reason. I gave them a story to tell that proves their point about their theory about people mm. that look like me. And so I just, I just don't want to give anybody that, you know, I, I've just, I've decided that. And, you know, like I told him, everybody has the right to their opinion. That's fine with me that he doesn't like the song and doesn't get it and doesn't understand it. But I'm not going to hate the guy for it. I have to show love because he's going to remember me showing love more than he would if I said something to him mean or if I struck him or anything like that. He's going to remember the love uh, and the calmness trying to have an intelligent conversation with him more than he will anything else. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I certainly will as well. I mean, what a what a, just a beautiful way to operate in the world. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about your younger days when maybe you didn't always lead with love in the way that you do now. And you, you talked about your parents and how you were raised. And, and I'm just curious if you, if you could go back to little Chris, little guy, Chris, five, six, however years old, right? And whisper something in his ear that might help him on his journey, what you might whisper in his ear. I just say the word trust, mm. anxiety about different things have happened, including my hearing, uh, anxiety about intolerance, anxiety about uh, the path. I've spent a lot of my life in a lot of worry. And I feel like a lot of that has been time wasted. And I tell young Chris, trust, just trust. Because mm. it's almost been like a, a fable or something. At the end of every difficult situation, something, some cloud opens up. And the path leads me to something even greater than I ever would have thought was going to happen. It's being open to actually going through that opening yeah. and not just saying to myself, well, nothing ever is going to happen from this. And I just think of all the situations where trust was the main source of, of good things happening. And I think about all of the all of the turmoil I put myself through to get to that point of trust. And so I, I, I think I, I would tell anybody, including my younger self, trust your path, embrace your authenticity, and, uh, and trust the things you can't control because uh, you never will be able to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, that is so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. This has just been an amazing conversation. We will have information in the show notes for our listeners to be able to find all your music, to find your website, hopefully to find some of your shows and be yep. able to hear you. And I highly recommend them. Yeah, <laughs> no, I look forward to um, the day that either I'm in California when you're performing or you do a show in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll be sitting right <laughs> at the base of the stage. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, I, I feel like I want to talk to you guys every week. I mean, this is uh, this has been such a great, great therapy for me. And uh 
<laughs> all are so easy to talk to, and I feel like, I feel like we got a lot out today. Right? Yeah. Well, we, thank and you. And we can work that out. We can set up yeah, a recurring right. like conversation <laughs> with Sherry Ann and Chris. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So on that note, that wraps up our episode for today. We really do hope that you have enjoyed listening to this as much as we have enjoyed having the conversation with Chris. And we would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. Side of your dreams, remember your young, black and beautiful.